Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 222 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for being here today. Today, my guest is Nick McGraw from McGrawsome. He's also Tim McGraw's nephew. I'm kidding. He's not. But the guy loves pink and green. If you just look at his Instagram account for half a second, you'd be like, man, this guy loves pink and green. And he does. He does some cool things with it. So go check that out. During this episode, we talk about how his mom saw and cultivated his creativity, his art and creative path. She just saw it and cultivated it, sprinkled a little little water, fertilizer, whatever you do to make plants grow. I'm not good with plants. Sorry, I got distracted there. Uh, We also talk about the trends that he saw and things that he saw in design that he wanted to avoid, wanted to dodge them. We talk about some influential graphic designers to him, some influential creators. He then shares with us an ad campaign for a beer, beer, that he loved. He saw it and it just influenced him. It impacted him. It stuck with him since. And um, what beer do you think it is? Well, you're just going to have to listen to find out. We then talk a little bit about a Greek proverb that Nick heard and came across, and I'd never heard of this one before, but it was interesting to hear, especially when you hear it and then you think about it in the context of your own life. You can almost start to to break up the blocks and the chunks. I know that's not very descriptive, but I'll let Nick tell that story. We then talk about the chat that he had with his dad that helped him realize that he really needed to change his thought process and his approach his career. He shares with us what that original path was. Nick then talks about the apparel line project that he was a part of and why it did not go as planned. And then right near the end, we talk about the studio space client that he has, that he does a whole bunch of work with and why he's so proud of that work and what it has done for him and for his client, more importantly, really. Um, this was a great conversation, very insightful. Nick went through some really, really tough times uh, in his career, really struggling to find his path, where he needed to go, what felt right. And you know, when you go through something like that, there's there's anger, there's sadness, there's frustration, there's confusion, all of those emotions. Um, he very openly shares all of them that he went through with us and how he came out the other side and what he learned from that process. So it's great. Um, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to this one. My guest, Mr. Nick McGraw. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Nick, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you? Thanks, Dave. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Okay, tell me where you are right now. Where, where I'm in are Tor- you? Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I got a fellow, fellow Canadian. Canadian. I love it. Well, as in true Canadian order, we should probably sing the national anthem before we get going. 
Yeah, I hope both of us know the uh, the lyrics because I know there's a ton of us who don't. The old and lyrics and the new lyrics. The the lyrics and the new lyrics. Yeah, there's the old lyrics and then there's the the they changed the word. You know, not in thy son's command. It's all of us That's command right. now, right? That's right. By all of us command. Yeah, got to catch up. Um, now we'll okay. skip over that. But are you ready for a quickie? I am absolutely. It couldn't be more ready for a quickie. Fantastic. Let's get into the tough stuff. Why don't you briefly tell the listeners about yourself? Sure. So my name is Nick. Uh, my last name is McGraw, kind of like Tim McGraw, but we're not here to advertise him, right? Um, yeah, he's just your uncle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't see him a lot. He's down in Tennessee, but yeah, I get there when I can. Um, my last name is McGraw, so I decided that I would play off that, and my business is called McGraw Some Design, where I'm a graphic designer. I'm a one-man band. I'm a freelancer, and I work with entrepreneurs and startups to sort of brand their companies and brand their vision to hopefully help them build something better. That's awesome. How long have you been doing that freelance for? <laughs> what a loaded question. I've yep. been doing it for about eight years, but I would say it's only been the last year and a half where I've taken it seriously to the point of, oh, I can make money from this. I can actually build a business from this and have something to call my own. I yep. don't have to just take one job a year and be some starving artist. No, like, <laughs> there's more to it than that. So I would say I've been doing it for eight years, um, but uh, this is the first, I would say, the last year and a half. I've, I've really turned it around, and I've really started thinking about being that entrepreneur and aligning myself with like-minded other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. so we can all try to grow together and make some friggin' money together because I think that's, that's part of being in business, man. The signs of maturity. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad so proud. Yeah, the signs of realizing your extreme debt and needing to... <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, I better fix this. Oh, pivot. Everyone's pivoting. Pivot. Pivot. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Nick, I want to kick this back a little bit and I want to ask about your childhood. What was that like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of pointed you in this design career creative direction? Uh, No, I don't think that. Um, I think my mom was probably the spark behind um, kind of cultivating and nurturing that. Like if she realized I, I was sitting at the table for four hours with my Crayolas, she'd be at the store the next day buying me, you know, luxury markers and pencil crayons and things like that. So she fueled that. But I wouldn't say that I was pushed to go to a design school or go to any sort of art school or or, or really make this a serious career. Um, my folks are both kind of like blue collar people. My dad's in sales, my mom's a nurse. So they're very practical, practical people. And mm-hmm. in her, in her own way, she cultivated that, that, that artist in me. And she, she definitely nurtured that, but neither one of them were ever serious to the point where, you know, we should push our son to, to go into the design world or go into the creative field because it's not something that they were exposed to. So they didn't, they didn't believe that you could make a career in, in design or music production or, or, or video or audio engineer or anything like that. They didn't actually have exposure to that. So why would they believe something like that could happen? So my dad tried to push me into going into a trade because he's an electrician. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he's an electrician. So knowing how profitable that can be and how good a career that can be, and I was always good with my hands and technically inclined. So he thought you'd be a great, you know, mechanic or a tool and die or something like that. So tried to push me in that way. And, um, you know, when my uh, glittering athletic career wasn't going to take me anywhere, now we had to be, I wasn't going to be a soccer superstar anytime soon. So now we had to think more practical. And so I would not say that that I was pushed or, or, or um, really encouraged to pursue. It wouldn't be until I was ready to take my first step into college. And I thought, you know what? No, I am going to go to design school. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to make that work. I graduated, 
Um, upon graduating, realized that <laughs> uh, I hated everything about uh, my portfolio and pivoted again. And uh, I'm no longer doing that type of sort of illustration work, which is what I graduated from. And I pivoted and I transformed myself into the designer that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And now I feel I'm closer to that dream, it, that vision that I had all those years ago. I think I'm a lot closer to that now than I've ever been. It's just finding yourself, finding what feels right. I mean, it's like props for mo- yeah. to mom in the early days for sort of cultivating and encouraging, you know, this is something he loves. So just, yeah, keep encouraging that, you know, even yeah. if it doesn't you know, turn into a career direction. And, you know, isn't it funny with parents where they, they really think they're doing the best by their kid by saying, oh, just, just get a real job, you know, get a real good job, get a trade. That'll, that'll get you. But, you know, it's so funny how they, that's the best like they have your best interest at heart in doing that. Yeah. But it, it, in the end, you know, it really takes you, what do I want to do? What, what feels right for me? And, and, you know, pursuing that. So, so props are finding that, you know, even after school, finishing, graduating, going like, you know, I did all this work in this direction, but it's not feeling right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 it, and it, it shouldn't shock me because it's so, it's so predictable and it's so, uh, you know, such a regularity now, but it still shocks me that students are graduating now and they're not doing what they went to school for. Yeah. You know, like, like I know, like, I, like there was a story, my girlfriend recently, just recently hired someone, brilliant kid into like a retail store. He's a chemical engineer. Mm-hmm. He's a genius, right? He wanted to work in like a pharmaceutical company. I'm like, why isn't he? Well, he can't find a job in his field. Or something like that. Some some ridiculous uh, uh, misconnection. That that gap isn't bridged for him. Yeah. And it's so many people I see now aren't doing what they went to school for. Luckily, I'm I'm doing I'm doing something very similar, something very parallel. What I went to school for, and I love what I'm doing now. That's the that's the most important thing. I actually love, and I eat, sleep, and breathe what I'm doing now. That's so maybe awesome. it's not so important of the theory that you learned in the books and that you said, as long as you find eventually what you're doing now, because passion is everything. And I know, I know, I know now that you can turn your passion into a profit. I know you can because entrepreneurs do this every day and they preach this, the same gospel. Everyone's drinking the same Kool-Aid. You can turn your passions into profit, but there will be a lot of weekends that you work through and there will be a lot of 14 hour days doing it. And if you can eat that buddy, you can soar. Yep. Absolutely. Finding the right spot. And finding what feels right, you know, learn the fundamentals of the direction you want to go, but really niche down, find the style, find the thing that that really lights you up, that you feel good about doing. So Nick, in your unique career path, everybody's got their own unique story and how they got there. What stands out to you as the most influential design or illustration or piece of art or something that you saw and just stuck with you since? Oh, wow. Um... Another loaded question, Dave. Firing on all cylinders. That's right. Um, what has been? I mean, there have been plenty of artists and designers and thinkers who have been influential. Yeah, that's next. So buckle up. <laughs> hey, listen, if you can't get this one right, don't move on to the next answer. One at a time here. Um, now there was a time right as I graduated um, where this new wave of minimalism showed up and you may not know it to talk about it, but you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you hear it. 
every single brand, every single logo, every single person basically did that crossed arrow with the initials in all four quadrants, uh-huh. or it was like an accident arrow or something like that. Every single brand needed to hop on this bandwagon. Similarly, you know how like that folk kind of pop infused folk kind of music showed up. So like when Mumford and Sons showed up, everybody had to be a band like that around 2009 to 2011. Yeah. This was a huge, huge fad. And I remember remarking to myself, I'm like, this is going to die hard, right? Not so much the music part of it, but the art scene about it. This is going to die hard, right? And I remember making a mental note then. Fads suck. Trends suck. And uh-huh. I never wanted to be part of that. So like, like, keep calm and carry on shirts. How hard those died. And I always nod to those. I'm like, that's, I tell my clients, we do not want to be the next keep calm and yeah. whatever shirt. We want to be timeless. We want to be a, a brand that stands the test of time. Whatever I build for you, whatever I make for you, I don't care if it's a logo or if it's this or that. When you look back on it 20 years from now, I want you to say that still doesn't need a refresh. That is still timeless today. Wow, I'm so glad we did that because you know what? 20 years later, it still looks great, right? And it's not privy to to, uh, erosion from styles and it's not privy to, you know, um, degeneration just because time has passed. It's still a timeless, great looking piece or a brand or whatever. And obviously brands have to evolve and people have to get with the times. I know that. But when you date yourself and you and you fall victim to that minimalism trap or um, you know everything had that same kind of sepia wash for years, for years it was the same on every album cover, on every piece of artwork. Everyone had to have like that sepia wash that it looked like it came from a Polaroid camera. Trends like that live and die hard. They live and die within the same year. And I Do you remember, remember the the flat website, the flat app oh, design? Oh, flat icons! Everything. Yeah, flat, flat icons. icons. You remember that? Give me a break! Oh, yeah, that was another God. one. Yeah, that was yeah, hard, like right in the mid 2010s. Do you know what I mean? Like, it kind of, no one can quite pinpoint when it started, but yeah, like that's another one. It's like, why are we? Hop, everyone wants to hop on on these trends, and it's just like, why don't we set a new standard? Why don't we be the trendsetter, trend breaker, and just make something timeless? Something simple. It's not simple. It's it's kind of classy, you know. Sometimes simple and classy is the best way to go because no one can 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 screw with it. No one can comment negatively on it. Well, you know, yeah, it works. It works. It's functional. It's a winner. It ticks all the boxes. Yep. So I like what you've done to this question. You've thrown me the interviewer a curveball by, you know, throwing in the <laughs> the, the things that you're influenced not to do. Right. Rather, right. Exactly. So I like the curveball there. Um, so Nick, next up, like I promised, who are some of the designers and the brands that you look up to and currently follow and what, uh, what is it about them that you like? So, um, there's a couple of designers who I like just stylistically, um, Jessica Heesh comes to mind her, her, uh, letter forms and her typography is probably, probably the industry standard. Stephen Bonner is another one as well. Um, some brands I'm, I'm, I'm sinking my teeth into um, and for me, it's a little bit of a personal trend. I'm sinking my teeth into this idea of disruptive brands and brands that just show up, just scramble the industry that they're trying to take a foot and they just shake up everything. So a great example is like Airbnb. I know everyone knows about Airbnb. Dollar Shave they, Club. I mean, oh, Dollar Shave Club, Uber is a big one. I know everyone knows that. That seems simple. I I'm, I was just talking to someone recently about BrewDog. BrewDog is a, is a new beer company in the UK of all places. Imagine mm-hmm. imagine that daunting task. Imagine saying, well, we want to start a new lager and ale company. Oh, yeah, where's it going to be? Somewhere, you know, Thailand or something? No, it's going to be in England. 
like talk about a mountain to climb like the drunkest nation on earth it's like they already have a thousand different flavors and profiles and you're going to try to like what shake up the system well they did it because they did it in such such a cunning and simple way they did it with advertising and they basically made the most the most slap in your face most like it was so simple it was almost diabolical they just had big white canvases they bought all the space around a building big white billboards put a can of beer a beautiful photo of their beer and said this is an advert advert on a bus advert <laughs> on a billboard they didn't even talk about the beer they just had a photo of the beer it didn't even say blue dog on it. it didn't even say the logo of anything this is new this is an advert they just they just it was really cheeky and really like on the nose and people had no choice but to take notice they turned this this up and comer this 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 almost like a charlatan business in something like four years went from zero startup to a billion dollar company in four years. Bananas. All because all because they dared just to think differently. We're going to shake up this industry. The beer industry is tired. It's dated. Let's do something different. And they did. And their product probably isn't even the best beer on the market. They're not advertising quality or price. They're just saying we're going to just be different. We're going to be the up and comers. We're going to be the upstarts. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like it, you can piss off. And if you do, well, you can be under our umbrella from now on. And everyone is. And it's just insane to me. It's like if you if you're just willing to take a shot in a new direction, blaze your own trail you've never done before, yeah. you might win. That's awesome. See, I didn't know that story of them. I'm going to look that up and 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 check it out. But what that sounds so much like to me is is a little bit like Guinness's approach to advertising, like the amount of advertising that they did and how unique and clever and totally different than like traditional beer. It's hops and barley and this is what we do. You know, mm-hmm. it's such a unique approach to advertising. Um, I, I love that. So I want to look into that um, campaign yeah. and, and learn more about that. While we're on the topic of beer, Corona is another one. Like I don't even like beer. And I don't, I, I'm a whiskey guy. I don't even really care for beer. There's no beer in my house, but my mm-hmm. whiskey cabinet is pretty diverse. Yeah. Um, it's the one shining, like, beacon of me. Like, you don't want to talk to me. You just want to drink at my, in my, in my living room. <laughs> um, Corona, like, do they look like they sell beer? No, it's always two people on a beach. It's always about the beach. It's always about the beach, the birds chirping, the waves crashing. Yep. It's hard. Beer hardly features in the commercial. But the whole emotional vibe of, of their brand is... When you drink us, you're, you feel like you're relaxing. You feel like you're on the beach. Like, we can give you that. We can give you that. It's hardly about selling beer for them, right? It's a whole new approach. It's like you said. We don't talk about the hops or the ingredients because we know we're not the best. So why are we even going to channel it? But we can be the most relaxed and most vibe beer on the market. And they are. They yeah. Are. Awesome. I love that. I love when you get a pack of Corona and you open up and you're like, yeah, I'm ready to go. And then you go, I just need a lime. Oh damn! I don't have limes. <laughs> <laughs> I've ruined my experience. It's the Mine's end. Of, it's the end I of it. I can't drink anymore. It's okay. over. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick, the next uh, few questions I have for you take you down part of your career where you've likely learned some lessons, made some mistakes, and I want to pull those stories out of you and share those with the listeners. Sure. So let's get that started. What has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging, and how did you get through it? Jesus. Um, okay, now I do have a real concrete answer. I promise there will be no me uh, grasping at straws here. Um, I had to really, I had to really reflect on this period of my life recently mm-hmm. to make sure I never repeat it. There's like a Greek. I'm not trying to get too philosophical here, but forgive me. There's like this Greek proverb. I don't remember if it's like Socrates or who said it, but have you ever heard of the concept like the seven lean years and the seven fat years? 
No. So you never want to be in the seven lean years because that means like kind of poverty, um, no no uh, possibilities, no real progression in your life. You want to be in the seven fat years because that means okay. wealth, um, you know, um, uh, entrepreneurial things, growth, growth of the mind, growth of your company, growth of your business, wealth, things like that. So you always want to be in the seven fat years because they're, they're prosperous, they're prosperity and all that. And you want to try to avoid the seven lean years, but unfortunately they come in cycles, right? So you'll go through seven lean years, you'll go through seven fat years, kind of like a recession. Every eight to 10 years we go through a recession, it's inevitable. So you want to stay and make sure those seven fat years are great. Well, I had those seven lean years and they were more like eight lean years. And I would say from the day I graduated, and even though I pivoted, like we said, and um, I, I transformed into more of the designer I wanted to be, I would say up until 2019, I had those eight lean years and they were not fun. And I can blame nobody but myself for not pushing myself, for failing to do the work, for failing to, to really own the life that I was living. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you there were several nights where just to myself, I was like, why am I not blowing up? Like I see everyone else has their opportunity. When do I get my shot? But they didn't get a shot. They made it happen. They worked for their shot. Uh -huh. And they stole their shot from the world. Uh -huh. right? And they said, this is mine. I'm going to make this happen. And those are like the 14-hour days, the working through weekends, the working through birthdays, the working through holidays and pushing all your friends out. And that's one way to work. And I'm not saying to be an introvert and isolate yourself. That's no way to run a business. But you are going to have to do the work. And I failed to do it. And I failed to recognize that that was on me. And so I've lived through the eight lean years. And I'm telling you, they're not fun. They're not fun because you feel like a failure. You have nothing to show your friends and family. But then also it's like, am I just am I just sleepwalking through life? Like how short is life, Dave? How short is life? You get what, 80, 90 years on this planet? And yeah, not, all of them, not all of them are good. Like basically you're useless up until you're 20. And I could even suggest some of us, I'll speak for myself, are useless up until we're 30. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you have from 30 to 50? You maybe have 20 years of your life that is going to be fucking awesome. Your body hasn't failed you. Your mind hasn't failed you. You're still good. You're still profitable. You're still viable. People want to piece you. People want to work with you. By the time you start getting 60 and 70, you're retiring, right? Maybe you can do some consulting work here and there, but you've put in the work. You're done. You're mm -hmm. done. You have an iron term. So you got 25, maybe 30 years to do something awesome. And if you're going to waste between your 20s and your 30s or God forbid your 30s and your 40s, like don't sleepwalk through life. Don't don't just coast. You can do something now. Make something now. Leave a legacy behind. And we all can't be Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, right? Not all of us are, are destined to be billionaires. Mm -hmm. Some of us will be billionaires. Some of us will be millionaires. Some of us will only make hundreds of thousands. Some of us will make less than that. But you don't have to sleepwalk through life. And mm -hmm. you can take your opportunities and you can make your opportunities by being relevant, showing up every day and doing the work. And I'm telling you, man, I have no one to blame but myself. And it's a lesson. Unfortunately, Dave, I learned everything the hard way. <laughs> yes. And that was, that was one of the hardest things I had to learn. And now being the person that I am, I look back and say, okay, we're never, we're never, we're never doing that again, right? Yep. No, absolutely. We're never doing that again. But there will be, a, there will be highs and lows and we can get through those lows. Yeah, but it won't be eight years of lows. Of course it won't be. And so I'm having these conversations with myself. I'm like, yeah, we're both in agreement that this is never happening again, right? Absolutely. Okay, so what was the moment then? Did it, was there a lead up to that? Was there a bunch of things that happened that sort of compounded and went, and you snapped one day and you went, enough of this shit? Or was it, did something happen? Like, what was the moment that you went, okay, that's enough of that? 
Yeah, there was. Um, um, I can't tell you what what day I it pinpointed in, but it was somewhere in the summer of 2016, where I had just had enough. I worked for a couple of stupid bosses twice in a row, uh-huh. uh, and I don't blame my lack of success or my wealth of success on anyone but me. But unfortunately, working full time in a place, you know, while you're freelancing on the side, you're answerable to someone, right? And so, unfortunately, I had a couple of bosses who were the opposite of what we want today. Like they weren't nurturing, they weren't encouraging, they were always yelling at people, things like that. So they're basically the the, the classic boss that everyone hates, right? Yeah. So, um, and I remember it, compounding that with crap work. Like I was doing work that was meaningless. I was just filling in time, like nine to five, I was just filling time. And I was unmotivated and I was out of love with what I was doing. And so when you combine that, it's kind of like a perfect storm where everything's just shit and unmotivated. And um, I remember there was there was a, there was a day in the summertime where I was talking. I think I was talking to my dad, and I told <laughs> I told him, "That's it. I'm done. I'm done with this design crap. I'm not doing it anymore." You know what I'm going to do, Doug? I can think of a, a business model that's really successful that has no chance of failure. I'm going to start a bar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because I was just getting into whiskey as like my side hobby, and I'm not a, a drinker or anything, but I like I like the roller coaster ride that whiskey takes you down. It's a huge mm-hmm. wide world. It's like a hobby, right? I'm, I'm more there. of a collector. There you go. I'm more of a collector. I barely drink the stuff. I'd rather just collect all the bottles, right? And so I was getting into whiskey at that time, and I said, you know what? I can do this. I can learn so much about whiskey and open up my own whiskey bar and be my own cocktail bar, and that's going to be profitable, right? That'll never ever suffer from any <laughs> economic failures, right? Um, and I was, as, a, as a restaurant owner, how can you lose, right? Those things never go out of People business, love right? to eat. Well, I mean, how can they lose? I'll never have to be in a fight with my landlord, especially in the city of Toronto. No one will ever kick me out. Yeah. Um, so I remember having this real, real conversation with him. And, and I just told him, listen, whatever was supposed to happen for me in my design career hasn't happened. And so I'm falling out of love with it. I'm completely, um, uh, you know, uh, it's completely lost on me. I'm, it's com- I'm completely dejected from my career. So I'm going to do something different. I'm going to get my bartender's license. I'm going to go work bars. I'm going to work till two in the morning. And this is what I'll do from now on. And and it didn't take long for me to realize that's not a viable solution. Just <laughs> giving giving up and finding chasing something else is not a viable solution. Um, and there's nothing against running a bar and there's nothing against being being a restaurant owner. But obviously that life isn't for me or I'd be doing it right now. And I just, I remember for the rest of that year, for the rest of 2016, it was just, it was just really, really low and really dark. And I really didn't know what I wanted for my career, what I wanted for my life. And I would say that low point stayed low for a couple more years. And this is perfect, perfectly in the box of those eight lean years that we talked about. The mm-hmm. lowest points were probably 16, 17, and 18. And then I finally just... In 2019, there's your snap, right? And 2019, I hired my first business coach, and everything started to turn around. And I started owning my mistakes and owning my own destiny and owning what I could do with my life. Yeah. And so I would say that there was, there was out of all the eight lean years, I would say that there was three really, really dark, depressing ones where I was completely out of love with who I was as a person, um, didn't really know what I could contribute to this world. And um, just really just dejected. And I'm, I'm not suicidal, but I was definitely depressed. Looking yeah, back just now, unhappy with life circumstances, where you're at and where things yeah. are, you know, the outlook of what it is. You know, it's just not comfortable. 
no, and something's got to change. Yeah. So in 2019, I hired my first business coach, um, learned a lot from her, put some things in motion, saw the rest of 2019. At the end of 2019, I said, that's it. 2020 is going to be the year I crush it. And I thought we all had the same ambitions in 2020. 2020 can't lose. We're all going to be winners, right? Yeah. Oh, 2020 is just a train wreck. <laughs> and then we derailed. Exactly. Everything's yeah. a dumpster fire as of March. But 2020 is still one of my most success, the most successful year. I've hired my second business awesome. coach. Things are amazing. I'm closing sales that I never thought I'd close. I'm closing deals that I've never. I've already hit my financial goal for the year back in June. So now we've doubled that financial goal. We're trying to get to like the end of 2020 and double that. Um, I'm making connections and doing things with my life and my business and who I am as a person. Uh, I'm so different from from that person four or five years ago. Good for you. That's amazing. You know what, man? Like again, I learned the hard way, and I yeah. credit all I credit all my success to the people around me, to the support system that I had. If I didn't yeah. have these business coaches, if I didn't have a supporting girlfriend, if I didn't have supporting parents, I'm I'm lucky that I can put all this together. But also, not taking away from anything I did, I know how many hours I've been putting in, and I'm yeah. telling you, man, you could take just 2019 and 2020 and weigh it up against the seven lean years, and I'm crushing that. And so awesome. Any, anyone can do this. This isn't novel advice. Anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. And I'm not some friggin' millionaire. And I, I drive a Honda, Honda Civic. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not like well Wait, off. Wait. What year? Oh well. Okay. <laughs> you want to know? Yeah, dude. I want to know. Wait. I had a '94 and I friggin' loved it. What happened to it? Uh, I wrecked it. <laughs> Why? What'd you do? Uh, it's that whiskey journey, huh? No, no drinking at all. Just uh, too fast around a bend, and it just uh, the car did not survive it. What year was this? Uh, oh gosh, this was twenty years. No, eighteen years ago, seventeen or eighteen years ago. Oh, okay, okay. It's not like you still had because there's oh, no. oldies on the road still. They look great. I'm like, yeah, oh, she's in good shape. I still I notice the '94s when I see them out there. They got the door handle that isn't like the pull up; it's the pull forward. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I love yeah, those, yeah. those um, early nineties Honda Civics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just look so nice and compact. Like, that's a compact car, yeah. right? Like that's what you like seeing. And I'm like, oh, nod to the nineties, nod to the nineties. Yeah. Well, mine is a little bit newer. Um, it was the first time we ever treated ourselves. Um, we bought it brand new, 2019 model. Nice. Um, because I was actually in need of a car. Because you think you wrecked your car? Okay, <clears throat> I got a story for you. Um, I'll send you the photos later, and I'll send you the video. I was asleep. It was 1130 at night. so almost midnight. Bang, bang, bang on my door. Okay. It's the superintendent. Hey, you got to come right now. Your car's destroyed. I'm asleep. What? Waking up. I park underground. I'm in underground parking. Yeah. So the car's safe. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I'm like, what are you? It's like the bright lights are killing me from the hallway. I'm like, what are you talking about? Your car has been destroyed. You need to come see me right now. So I'm like groggily putting on my track pants, my sweater. It's March. Okay, it's freezing. Yeah. Okay. I get, we're in the elevator. I'm starting to wake up. And I ask him, what am I about to see right now? And he goes, you'll see it. I can't describe it to you. Some idiot, my neighbor, lives in the building, drove through the garage door, through it, through it. Okay, it's a ramp that goes down to the basement. Mm -hmm. Through it, okay, like like Acme Acres car-shaped hole in the garage door. Nice. Okay. Sprinted to the back of the parking lot where I am. He had every pillar to hit. He could have smashed into every concrete pillar on the way or any other car. My car is on the back wall. He turns hard, doesn't apply any brakes, smashed into my front, broke my wheel off. It's dangling off the car. Pushed me so hard. I'm six feet away from the SUV beside me. 
he hit my Impala so hard, I pushed into her car, left visible and uh, structural damage on her car to the point where her Volkswagen was in the shop for a month and a half. She had like 10 grand worth of chassis damage. My car was written off. His car was written off. And his was a 94 Civic, jet black. And I was so disappointed. I'm like, you you took such good care of it. Why did you destroy it? I would later find out from the cops because I was up till two in the morning filling out police reports with them. He was drunk and on muscle relaxants. Ah. And he decided to have a little joyride. And um, how he didn't do any damage to the rest of the world while he was out driving on the streets of Toronto, I'll never know. How he couldn't just coordinate coming down the ramp like he did a million times because he's lived in this building for 20 years and just wait for the door to open and park. He has one of the first front parking spots. It's easy for him to get to. And yet he sprinted all the way to the end and hit only my car which hit someone else's, you had a million other, a yeah. million other things could have happened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the loop, like the solstice could have happened during this time. <laughs> and it didn't, it just all the stars aligned for my car to get wrecked. Mm-hmm. And so obviously insurance paid it off with little money it was worth. Um, and uh, we just went out and financed a new car. And I, 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 it took me like, honestly, like weeks to get over and just absorb how the hell this happened to me. And luckily I wasn't, I was asked a million times by insurance, were you in the car? Are you hurt? I'm like, no, I was asleep in my friggin' bed. Like, I'm no one <laughs> uh, it's such a crazy, surreal story. And I'll yeah. share the details with you later, but Jesus, but at least we're both civic nation, right, buddy? Yeah, no problem. We're, we're all good. Um, so I want to get a little bit more specific with this next one, since we're on the topic of, you know, crazy things happening and, uh, and things not going as planned. Um, right. I want you to tell me about a design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result. Um, what was that like? How did that feel? Take me to that story. So this just happened recently um, with my freelance. I'm working on an apparel line right now, and it's a little shop owner. He owns his own shop, but he wants mm-hmm. to do a new apparel line. And he's owned the brand name and owned the logo for many, many years, for like 20 years, but he's tired of it. He's sick of it. He wants a whole new refresh, whole new logo design, all that. So we do the necessary steps. And so any designer will know what it's like to do a prototyping stage and then some stylescapes. And I made him beautiful, beautiful, delicious stylescapes that I knew he would like. I gave him kind of like that classic look, that postmodern look, and then somewhere in between, also to who we believe is our target audience. Okay, great. So I'm doing my job. I'm doing my research. He picks the more modern approach, which I did not think he would because he's kind of set in his ways, kind of that baby boomer mentality. I thought he would pick the more classic approach. I'm like, okay, that's fine. We can go the modern way. I would eventually make him three logo concepts, and we're still working on this project. So I would eventually make him three logo concepts that were pretty, I will say now, speaking objectively, pretty ultra-modern. Okay, pretty ultra-modern, pretty slick. Still sports logos, but pretty ultra-modern in their look. Okay. Um, to my face over the Zoom meeting, he said he loved them. Okay, he was fine with them. He goes, no, everything looks good. And I knew that I had done my due diligence because I didn't just spring them on him. He knew he was getting a modern look due to the stylescape he picked, due to the prototype, due to all the meetings we've ever had and me understanding him. I thought we were in the right place. He told me he was fine with him. Two hours later, I got that email. Yeah, I don't like any of this. I think we have to start again. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> and I told everyone, I told my business coach, yeah, he loved the concepts. It was really smooth. And you rarely get really smooth. You usually get some negative feedback during the Zoom or whatever. But he loved it all. Two hours later, he said, I don't like any of this. And I got some opinions of people that I trust. Don't you love the opinions that yeah. they always get? Uh-huh. Um, and then he basically hated everything. 
And um, he said, I think we have to take a look at this again. But luckily, we were not so far ahead that going back will derail us. Yeah. And luckily, we are we are in a spot where we're still friendly with each other. It didn't derail me. And I would eventually make a story of this on my Instagram. Like, have you ever had a time where you think everything's good, but then it's all just garbage? Well, that's me today. <laughs> Thinking that I had this project going forward in the right direction. No, no, I got to go backwards. So yeah. things like that happen. And um you know, if I was a different person, if this happened to me five years ago, I would have been like, who does this guy think? That's what I was thinking. But I am not that I'm a businessman first. And I got to keep my clients happy. Got to keep my clients happy. Yes, there's a goal. And the goal is not so much to make him happy, but it's to make his target audience happy. So we got to think of the customers at the end of this. Uh However, he's still paying and it's still his and he's still it's his baby. And he knows it more intimately than I do. Got to keep him happy. Got to make sure it's something that he wants. So he's the one paying at the end of the day. And I'm not going to see any more money until we get this right. So if I was a different person, Dave, I would have been like, oh, so offended by this. But I'm like, no, I'm a businessman. If he doesn't like it, we do it again. If someone's remodeling your kitchen and halfway through the project, you're like, I didn't ask for that marble. What is these tiles over here? I didn't ask for it. Guys, all of this has got to change. None of this is part of my vision. The contractor doesn't go, you don't understand kitchen remodeling. You don't understand interior design. No, that's inappropriate as an answer. You say, okay, you're right. Let's go back, talk some things out. Tell us how I can write this problem, uh-huh. right? That's the professional thing. No one pays you 20 grand for a kitchen remodel for it to be wrong. Yep. Like, this guy's paying me a lot of money. He's going to get exactly what he he, he thinks he's, he's going to get what he pays for, and he's going to uh-huh. get quality. He's going to get quality from me. He's going to get assurance, and I'm never going to lose that trust. I'll do anything. I'll die on that hill. I'll die on that hill for that trust. And I didn't work this hard to build that trust just to lose it all now with my attitude. So That's the thing. My only attitude is, thank you. I now get to design more things. It's like you are forever building a relationship, forever, forever building it. And literally it can take one bad exchange to kill it all. Yeah, you can't honestly, man, like you can't have that one bad review. You can't have that one bad review, not just because it can derail your business, but it's a point of pride. I will not suffer. I suffered enough bad reviews in those 18 years. This is a whole new me and a whole new business. I will not suffer a bad review. Because because I I can't tolerate it I can't I cannot tolerate it so awesome. I will deliver to you every time building on up <laughs> that's right um, okay I'm gonna turn this bus around here for you Nick tell me about a project now that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of one that just makes your heart sing so this is one of the shine this is the only takeaway from 2016 after I shit all over it <laughs> um, I met who would be my best client even to this day, right to this day that I'm speaking. Um, I met my best client um, out at a nightclub. Uh, We just bumped into each other, started the conversation just organically. And later he would need my services for a big, big business that he started. So here in Toronto is a massive uh, video production studio called Astrolab Studios. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't heard of it yet, you're going to, because it's going to blow up over the next five to 10 years, because it's already been blowing up over the last four the Toronto Raptors, I've shot there. So DeMar DeRozan has been in my friend's presence, my, my client's presence. Uh, Mayor John Tory uh, has been there. Uh, Sick Kids Hospital, the list goes on and on and on. The amount of high-profile clients that have used this studio space. And what my client wanted to do is his vision was just to have a big space, make those curved walls, paint them white, bring in some awesome lights, bring in some awesome cameras. I have all the gear. You just pay per hour as the artist. You pay per hour. Do you want to shoot a music video? We'll shoot a music video. you want to shoot an advertisement? We'll shoot an advertisement. So he is the premier video production space, video recording space in Toronto to the point where 
the year and a half after he started it, copycats started showing up in Toronto that were never there before, but they can't compete with him because he's the best model of this. <laughs> and every year he throws me more work. And I'm working on a new logo for him right now because he has a side project where he's the photographer behind the camera and he wants to do more, more high-end gigs and things like that. So I'm working on a project for him right now. That relationship has been fruitful every single year for the last four years. Is it awesome. ten grand a year? No, but it is money every single year. Mm-hmm. And he throws me all the projects that he can. And, and, and the same words keep coming out of his mouth. So I tried to do this on my own. I realized, what the hell am I doing? After two hours, I was fed up. Can you just make this happen? And I make it happen in two hours. And it's like 20 hours worth of what he was going to do. <laughs> and so I blow him away every time. And he goes, Jesus, why don't I think of you first? I'm like, I don't know. You just, we're best friends. I don't know. So. Yeah. Every single time, even though he's used to quality, I keep blowing him out of the water. I pretend like it's my first job ever or it's my last job ever. And I'll put my name on and I'll be happy of that. And so that relationship and the branding that I built for his studio for Astrolab, people walk in and they get compliments all the time. He tells me, do you know how many people compliment me on this branding? They're like, I've never seen anything like this. All these rockets and stuff. This looks so cool. It feels like a space station. Right. And so I help him put that together. I help him curate that brand. And he gets compliments all the time. I have literally not to like pump my own tire. I have never seen anything like this in the city of Toronto or anywhere else in the world. That's cool. It kind of has like a retro futuristic kind of Jetsons feel. And I've not seen that really. I've seen it in artwork, but I've not seen it in design too much. Mm -hmm. And especially in a space, like in an interior space. So that's very rewarding to see. And just to open the doors when they visit him sometimes. Don't visit him lately because of the the times we're in yeah. just to see the logo on the door final stickered up to get his business cards and things like that to see him on my instagram like astrolab is doing cool things again it's so nice to be a part of that family and I, i'm always sending love or sharing his stories like go check out my client astrolab they're doing crazy shit again like you know just the beating heart of toronto's creative scene it's really rewarding to be part of something like that and he always remembers me and we're doing a project right now together and it's very very humbling that's cool I love that one. I'm going to look them up on Instagram to sort of see what they got cooking. Yeah. Um, well, Nick, you've made it to the point of the show for the ask it forward question. This is where I have a question for you from my last guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to okay. tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. So my last guest was Brittany Knight. She's an art director and illustrator. Um, right now she's working with uh, Nike as part of their uh, some environmental purposes that they have. Um, won't go into too many details about that, but uh, you can listen to that episode shortly. She wanted to ask you, where do you find purpose in your work? By serving others. Dude, you have and that, that, is you have not, that ready to go. That, that is, you know why? Because I feel it every day now. And that is not a canned response where I was just like, I know what, I know what I'm going to give day. I feel this every single day now, and I'm telling you, man, a couple of years ago, I didn't. I, I wasn't – when you – okay, we're all allowed to get paid for what we do. Yes. That is non-negotiable. I pay for music. I pay for art. Like, if you're a musician and you're in a rock band, you're allowed to make millions off your work, mm-hmm. all right? If every other musician and band did it before you, you can do it too. Don't ever think that you have to be the starving artist. Okay, designers, video people, audio people, you're allowed to make music for what you're good at. You're allowed to make money for what you're good at. You're allowed mm-hmm. to get paid. But also, you need to stop working for yourself and start working for others. And I don't mean I don't mean take a nine to five job. I mean serve others. When entrepreneurs come to you and say, "I have this idea," like, yes, let's let's blow this idea out of the water. Let's crush this. Let's make you the biggest, 
best thing ever. So when you put every ounce of your energy into their their thing, mm-hmm. it has to be a success. There's no way it won't be. It has to be a success. So when you stop serving yourself and you serve others, not only will this be more lucrative for you because they'll just throw money at you. And if they don't, the next client will, mm-hmm. right? Because your name will get around. You'll be worth more. Just your name will be worth millions one day. Hopefully, that's the idea. But it will also be spiritually rewarding. Nothing will fulfill you more than fulfilling the dreams of other people. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds that sounds super like over the top, but like it's the truth. This is, it's the truth, and it's it's what I I'm now realizing that's my calling in 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 this world is that just to build up empires with other people. I'm gonna brand you, but I'm gonna bring you so so good. Yeah, people will look at it and say, oh, my God, you look really professional. Yeah, I got a guy. His name's Nick. He gave all this stuff for me, and he helped me grow. And I got a guy. Me. Exactly. I got yeah. a guy. He's good with the Photoshop, you know. You know, I got a guy. <laughs> I and love like, that. Um, so, yeah, man, when you serve others, your whole world, when you stop making it about yourself, like, how can I grow? How can I? No, no, no. How can I make them grow? Because, because as your clients grow, so do you. You have to. You have to level up with them, right? And you make sure they're loved, and you make sure they're attended to. Everything unlocks for you. That's awesome. I love that answer. I couldn't agree more. Nick, what is the question you would like me to ask the next guest? Okay. I've been thinking about this. We're all online now, right? And all of our businesses are fueled by the internet. If the internet turned off tomorrow, (laughs) what are you going to do? Blackout. I mean a blackout. Internet switches off, never comes back on. Never comes back. Internet's gone. We never have it again. What are you going to do? How does your brand survive? Dark, I love it. Eh? I love it. Man, my, like I'm thinking through like <laughs> yeah, putting it together, putting it together. <laughs> I don't have an answer. I don't know. I'm just going to read some books, figure it out later, get drunk maybe. That'll be my Saturday <laughs> night. And then, uh, and then I'll figure it out tomorrow. <laughs> awesome. Nick, thank you so much for being my guest. You have reached the end of the Quickie Podcast, man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate everything, man. Take care. Yep, you bet. All right, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you are digging what you're hearing here on the Quickie Podcast, please head over to iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Leave me a rating and a review. I appreciate them. They make me smile. They make me feel good. Even the bad ones because I learn right? It's all about learning. You either win or you learn. You know what I'm saying? Also go check out Nick on Instagram. See the awesome stuff and the knowledge bombs that he's dropping over there and uh, have a fantastic week. See you later.